and welcome back to the Three Point Sportscast. My name is John Gustin, and on today's show, you might know him, you might read him, you may agree or strongly disagree, but you've probably all read his work, and he does an excellent job uh, continuously updating and sharing his thoughts and taking a deep look at the Detroit Pistons. On today's show, we have Joe Truck. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. How are you? Good. It's a Monday, but for me, it's my weekend, so it's a little different than maybe some other people's Mondays. I appreciate appreciate you taking your morning to come on the show today, and it looks like there's been a couple things happening in the NBA. Maybe the Pistons aren't in the Kawhi sweepstakes, but there's some other rumblings happen there. We might as well address the elephant in the room. Some people have been saying, following Paul George getting moved out of Oklahoma City, the Thunder should tear it all down. And that leaves the question of where Westbrook should go. And some people have said, I haven't actually seen anything legitimate on this, but it's come up as a, just speculation that the Pistons should trade for Westbrook. Where do you stand on that? Um, I lean no. Uh, one big thing is that it's not abundantly clear what Westbrook's value on the trade market is. There's a lot of people who have suggested that his value is so low that the Pistons or anyone else could essentially just match salaries and just do that. Like not, maybe not even have to give up any picks. If that were the case, you'd maybe start to lean towards it. But even then um, I'd be pretty hesitant to the guy is going to make $48 million in what year is the last year of his contract? 2023. Yeah, which is 22, 23 player option, which he's going to pick up. Because, I mean, if you're going to be age 33 Westbrook, I think I'm taking 47 million. Yeah. So it's just that is a ton of money to pay a guy. And here's the main thing is if you trade for Westbrook, you're basically betting on talent to win out, right? Because if you trade for Westbrook without trading away Blake or Andre, then you've got like two and a half all NBA caliber players on your roster. Who's and the half? That, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, we'll give Andre half of one because he's kind of on the, you know, borderline ish. Uh, he has been the past couple of years. He's made an all NBA team once he wasn't too far off this year. So we'll give him half. So we'll go two and a half. And that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the a base point for potentially being a real contender. The issue is that the chances of them reaching that talent upside, I just think are pretty low because Russell and Blake would be a really poor fits next to each other. Uh, They're both guys that kind of want to have the ball in their hands. Russell is obviously useless when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, They're both guys who like to take rebounds and go the entire length of the floor on the fast break. Uh, It's just, there's just a lot of, overlap when their games and they do have a lot of the same issues as well uh the pistons would be terrible off ball defensively with those two guys russell did a little bit better on defense this past season but it just i think that just that fit would be poor enough that i would not have a lot of faith in them um gelling enough to make the most out of that talent upside and at that point, if you make that trade, you're going to have very little in the way of depth just because you're going to be in salary cap hell at that point. So I just I just don't think that there's that big of a chance that they reach the talent upside just because Russell and Blake would not be a clean fit at all. 
No, I think Westbrook is a guy who compliments or, or works well. He's a ball-dominant player that needs to be complimented by m- lots of shooting around him. And so that would be guys kind of like maybe Carl Anthony Towns with a pick-and-pop game just because of his shooting. Maybe Miles Turner if he shoots a lot more. But you need multiple deadly spacers with him and then maybe one less ball-dominant guy to, to compliment. I mean, basically kind of what Paul George did, but if you know the Pacers actually had depth in shooting. And that's not Detroit right now. They've got, you know, their money's tied up in exactly what you said, in Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. And Griffin has definitely shifted to more of a perimeter game, but he definitely works inside and outside of the paint as his best mode of operations. Not like you want to really relegate Griffin to stand in the corner and shooting threes that that would be a giant waste of you know 30 million dollars or more so so I agree and then also I don't know there, there just seems to be a risk of where the return the the, the cost benefit there of that it, it's just going to go down over time that I mean the value of a re, over replacement for Westbrook he's a he's an athletic player and he's very aggressive and you know, he, he at least plays hard on defense and he, he can put up some good stats. But if you look at what you're trying to get out of, you know, eventually 47 million or so at the end of the contract over, you know, a guy you could maybe sign that would fit your system better. It just doesn't seem worthwhile to me. And especially so if we're saying that maybe Reggie Jackson can be 60 percent of Westbrook for a third the cost. That, that seems reasonable to me, at least. Well, so here's kind of just tack on to a couple of things you said. So first off, like you said, yeah, I agree with what you said about how, you know, if the Pistons had more guys that were more, basically if the Pistons' other big star was more of a complimentary player. So let's just say hypothetically, in a universe where the Pistons still had Tobias Harris, okay, if that were the case, I would be much more in favor of this because Tobias Harris and Russell Westbrook, there would actually be some pretty good synergy there. Tobias is sort of the lower volume, hyper-efficient scorer who's a really good shooter. He's very comfortable playing off the ball most of the time, not really a facilitator, not a guy that dominates the ball. He's You're totally fine then letting Russ Westbrook be the guy who has the ball in his hands all the time and then letting Blake, um, Tobias sort of play off of that, right? Blake is not that guy. Blake is a guy who also kind of needs to dominate the ball. So I just think that that would not be a great fit. Um, One thing that you did say, though, that I would disagree a little bit with is a lot of people are terrified of Russell's contract because they think Russell Westbrook is not going to age that well. Um, I'm not that scared of him, um, of his aging, actually. Uh, He's a guy who I think that he may just be the exception. First off, I think a lot of people undersell how skilled he is. Um, As a passer in particular, he consistently rates as one of the best passers alive. There's no way around that. Every advanced stat, you'll talk to coaches, whatever you want to do. He is a really remarkable passer. And that's not just that he's a good athlete. He is a remarkably talented passer. But there's also some guys that are just, they're such freak athletes and they take care of themselves. And other than a couple of sort of freak injuries a few years ago, Russell Westbrook has generally been fairly durable. I think as long as he doesn't have any more really serious injuries, um, I actually think he's going to age okay. You know, I'm the closest comparison would probably be LeBron James, where LeBron James is going to be 34 years old, but he's just such a freak that he's still able to rely pretty heavily on his athleticism. 
Um, so I'm not necessarily that scared of him, you know, just getting to be not a good player as he gets older. Uh, you know, there's always the risk of him suffering a really serious injury, and that's hard to come back from when you get into your 30s. But that's a risk that you take on with pretty much any player when they get into their 30s. Uh, but the issue is just that he's going to make $47 million. It's not that I'm worried about him being just, you know, this being some sort of a Gilbert Arenas situation or a Joe Johnson situation where it's just he's just not good anymore because he's old. I I think that it's just he's just not worth that kind of money, especially next to Blake Griffin. You're just not going to maximize the value of those two guys. Well, so I I quickly looked up his assist rate, and you're right, it's absolutely through the roof. I knew he was an assist guy just because you know the sheer amount of minutes he would play and just how often the volume was in his hand. But the assist rate for him in the last three years, forty six percent, forty nine percent, fifty seven percent. I mean, the dude gets guys open but the part looking at him that you kind of see trending downwards over time is since uh 2016 17 season that was at 55 percent true shooting it's gone down to 52 percent and now it's down to 50 percent from last year and that's along with a free throw percentage that's pretty bad uh and we're talking about the 60 percent range 65 percent and then a three-point shooting percentage which has declined from a maybe a respectable 34 percent in 2016 and back down to 29 uh, percent and so both of those things I don't see Westbrook's shot getting better over time really just uh, the style he plays uh, the free throw his percentage would be worrying and so would his true shooting and so you're kind of thinking that just his sheer usage that you need somebody to eat up shots and possessions uh, to you know get your your baseline scoring and then you would have your other efficient players maybe pick it up from there just statistical average to help even that out I, because his assist and his defense, I mean, advanced stats love his warp or his on-off defense, his wind share, all that stuff. I think that's aided a little by his rebounding. But I do think you see Westbrook as a plus defender, more or less. He's maybe an average scorer and a, a great passer. But I think that scoring could go down where it just becomes such a, a detriment to an extent that you really have to have the perfect situation for a guy like him. And that's probably also not a place where we're just saying right now, Oklahoma City, where you know they've got Andre Roberson and Steve Adams as their main other guys there, and maybe Gallo. We'll see. Uh, that doesn't seem like a recipe for success. Detroit this year does look like they got more shooting, but especially if you'd have to give up some assets, unless it's like a straight up salary dump with Jackson or Galloway, uh, just because both would be in theory expendable. Galloway's expendable right now, just because where the Pistons seem to be going with their youth movement, uh, but. Yeah, it, it it would be complicated. Yeah, well, the one thing that I would say in his defense with the true shooting percentage, um, Westbrook has never been a particularly efficient scorer, but I'm not actually too worried about his, once again, over time. I'm not worried about that regressing further um, because, like you said, the free throw percentage, he shot just bizarrely like 65.6% from three, free throw last season. Um, that is well below his career average. He had been over 80% for like what seven straight seasons, basically his whole career. However, the year before it was at 73%. Yeah. So the last two years he shot pretty bad from the line. Here's basically my rule with this sort of thing. There is a chance that Russell Westbrook is just an outlier and a guy who's just going to totally forget how to shoot free throws at the end, just for no reason. Right. But 
he would be the outlier. That's not saying that, well, he's getting older, so he's shooting worse from free throw, right? Like, that's not... It, it's a psychological like thing. I mean, be, if you can hit a free throw, you can hit a free throw at any yeah. age. That would just be just sort of a freak thing that would happen. And sometimes it does happen, but it's sort of like when people would bring up, um, you know, well, Stanley Johnson could maybe be like Jimmy Butler, right? That was always a thing people said about him after his first couple of seasons. It's like, you know, Jimmy Butler is the outlier. Like, yeah, maybe he would, but you don't ever want to count or rely on an outlier. I would assume that next season Westbrook will at least get back up to like 75% from the free throw line or so. Uh, because I just I would just kind of assume that. And then when you look at some of his other numbers, he finished, I believe, this past season, he shot a career best at the hoop still. Yeah, I'm per basketball reference, he shot literally, he had his best season of his career finishing at the hoop so he's still an absolutely elite finisher he's absolutely elite at getting to the hoop um his scoring efficiency took such a dive this past season really just because his free throws went way down um he's never going to be a good three-point shooter the one season where he won mvp and he shot 34 percent that was an outlier uh he has been on either side of his mvp season where he shot 34 percent from three he now has two seasons where he shot sub 30%. So he's never going to be a good shooter. And that is a real issue. Um, and he's never going to be a big efficient score. Obviously his most efficient seasons are like bordering on acceptable efficiency, but I'm just, I'm not worried about his efficiency or regressing further from this past season. I would expect it to bounce back up at least into the 53, 54% range. Cause that's where it's been most of his career even when he shoots that poorly from three, just because I'm, I would bet on him not shooting that poorly from the free throw line again. Now, would we both agree that it's unlikely that the Pistons will make a trade for Westbrook? I think there's some other teams. Miami seems interesting right now, especially considering the moves they're making. I think he would kind of maybe go there if they're star hunting, but I don't quite think Detroit is star hunting for just a name. I think if they're going to do anything, it would have to be the right situation. Uh, it's tough to say because clearly there is at least some interest there. Um, it's the sort of move that I'm sure Tom Gores would like. Uh, I think a lot will depend on what Westbrook's value actually is. I do not see the Pistons, um, giving up Luke Kennard and Seiko and multiple draft picks or anything like that for him. Um, but no, we're not the Knicks, right? Please, please don't. Yeah. But if it did end up actually just being, well, it's just matching salaries. So it'd be, you know, like Reggie Jackson, Langston Galloway, and then, you know, maybe you wait all the way until you can give them Tony Snell or something like, like whatever it may be. There's a few different ways you could accomplish that. Um, and then Tom Gores is cool just paying this luxury tax. I mean, at that point, I think that they'd certainly be thinking about it. Um and then the thing, though, with him is that so when you consider something one like just as an example, if you think about like Bradley Beal, OK, if Bradley Beal became available, just about every team in the NBA would be trying to trade for him. That's how good and valuable and highly thought of Bradley Beal is around the NBA. And and so, because the rarity now, you could say, too, so many other players have switched teams where you think that they are comfortable at the only really remaining big name left to an extent that hasn't moved around has been Bradley Beal. Yeah. And so just because of the fact that if Beal becomes available, 
there's going to be like a dozen other teams that will want him and can offer better packages than the Pistons can. So they have, unless the Wizards are just outright stupid, the Pistons would have no shot at Beal. With Westbrook, there might only be two other teams that, two or three other teams that even have any interest in him almost at all. So if they wanted him, they could probably get him. Uh, but whether or not they want to go for that sort of thing is tough to say. Because one thing that is true of Westbrook that makes, and one of the reasons why it's true, it's difficult to judge this with him, is there are some front offices that legitimately just, no matter what his cost is, they'll be like, we really don't want him. There's a lot of guys um, in the NBA that are just not fans of his game. They do not think that he plays particularly winning basketball. They think it's very difficult to fit him with. So like there are I there are a lot of guys in the NBA who they would look at Blake Griffin, they'd be like, Blake Griffin is better than Russell Westbrook. And if you bring him Russell Westbrook at any cost, it's going to screw with Blake Griffin and it's going to make your team not even any better than they are already. So we do not want him. And I don't know for sure if that's something, you know, and it so it's possible that that's something that Ed Stefanski in this Pistons front office thinks. And so they literally would have no interest of him at any price. Uh, but so it's just hard to say whether or not that's the case. It, it really does come down to cost benefit analysis and this front office, they've seemed to do done a very good job kind of looking to see where they're going to make moves around the edges to shore things up while still getting value for the future and the present. Something that would be along those lines would be Derek Rose's two year contract and then Tim Frazier, who I think is a really smart signing, just in terms of it's a one-year affordable player, but it's something that we've missed since Bino Udre, which is sad to say that Bino still has a place in my heart just because he was a competent third-string guard that the Pistons desperately need. What do you think of the moves that they've made? I mean, they've brought in two-point guards and Markeith Morris, and that puts them more or less capped out this year. Looking at it right now, I figured it out. It was the earlybirdrights.com, and right now they say the Pistons have 1.446 under the tax base, and the Vets' minimum for this year is 1.6. So looking at the numbers right now, if the Pistons bring in one other player, uh, if they bring in a player with one year of experience, they would be about $1,000 or less under the luxury tax. Or if they bring a zero a year, uh, so basically an undrafted rookie, they sign him, uh, that would be someone uh, just under 900000 So basically they can bring in an undrafted rookie, and that's about it. So the Pistons look to be done at least signing players for the time being. What do you think of the moves done so far this offseason? Um, I liked the John Lure for Tony Snell trade. I think Tony Snell will help the Pistons. Um, he fills a big void for them. Uh, the Derrick Rose signing... Uh, Derek is a, he's a pretty good player. He does some things that the Pistons can use. They really could use another guy who can create shots for himself, facilitate a little bit and get to the hoop, draw some fouls, that sort of thing. And particularly off the bench, the Pistons bench has had some very serious scoring problems over the past few years. So there's some ways in which I don't mind the Derek Rose signing. Um, my main issue is that to get Derek Rose, that really is the that the mid-level exception was really the one tool that the Pistons had to try and add a real difference maker this offseason. And I still would have probably leaned towards trying to get a wing 
with that because I just think that that was a bigger hole. But Derrick Rose should help the team. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy. Like you said, I like Tim Frazier, just like you. Uh, you know, he's not anything spectacular, but he should work really well as a third guard, which you really need if Derrick Rose is your backup because on your best-case scenario, Derrick Rose is playing like 60 games. So you need a good third guard, and Tim Frazier is a guy who can do some things. He's a really smart passer. Uh, he's been up and down with his shot a little bit, but he can mostly shoot at least a little bit. Um, he's a fairly he, – he plays pretty hard on defense, but mostly he's a really good passer. He can score a little bit. Uh, so, and obviously, like you said, he's cheap. Uh, Markeith Morris will be important for him to bounce back. He had a pretty poor season last year, but before that, he'd had a couple of really great seasons for Washington. So, in last season, he was hurt. The Wizards were kind of a mess. And then he went, when he went to the Thunder, he just struggled to find a consistent role there. So, he'd be a guy who's a prime option to bounce back this season. So, um, I think they've mostly done a good job with limited resources. Um, I do wonder if they maybe would have been better off focusing a little more on the wing than they ended up focusing on it. But I would say, given their limited resources, they certainly have not done poorly. No, I I agree. It's talking about the wing value, the MLE. It looks, I'm not completely certain on the specifics what happened, uh, but speaking of the other Morai brother, uh, Marcus Morris, he signed a two-year, $20 million contract to San Antonio. That more or less lines up kind of with an MLE with a player option a raise in the next year. I, it might be based off of a trade exception and how he's getting moved. I, I think he's just getting signed into value. So that was kind of a player I was targeting and, and stumping for just because I did like the idea of the Pistons adding one more wing. I like the idea of Tony Snell, and I just think that the Pistons really could have used one more 3-4 player. And uh, Keefe is more of a 4-5. And so I think that the Pistons will be okay into the season. But if there's any injuries, uh, to if Tony Snell has to miss any time, the Pistons are incredibly thin at the, that position. I don't think Seku is going to really play this year that much. I, I think it actually might be best if Seku goes down to Grand Rapids just to soak up a bunch of minutes to develop quickly and get a lot of playing time under his belt just considering how raw he is. But I think Detroit will probably keep him close and slowly work him into the rotation. Uh, I give him a couple minutes behind Snell and a couple minutes behind behind Brown or whoever they have as the third guard out there in those three guard lineups. But I think Rose, if he stays healthy, it's a great gamble because his production last year and if he you know if he's returning to Derrick Rose esque, not you know his peak, but you know if he is eighty percent of the player, seventy five percent of the player he was at this value. That's pretty good. It's just we, we've seen the the wheels go off this truck before. And I think even if we're not talking about health, too, but there was that time when he, you know, went MIA from was it Cleveland a couple of years ago. It just randomly, you know, disappeared from the team. Uh, there's been some weird instances. There's been some stuff off the court, too, which I, I like Rose as a player. I, I've got conflicted feelings uh, how I think about him off the court, and I think that's an interesting thing that gets brought into the modern NBA. So it's, there's a couple different things going on with Rose where it it, it feels like it's a 50-50, but it, it's one of those things. It's a boomer bust. It's and the second year of the contract, too. That's interesting. And along with Markeith, Markeith has a, a player contract option next year. I like him as a 4-5 option, especially considering his talent. And then Frazier looks like an efficient guy, can hold down the fort, and that's really what the Pistons need. So it looks like the Pistons have kind of bet on getting value talent and hoping that it works that way. But 
both Rose and Markeith have had some injuries uh, history, which could be problematic considering the Pistons are going to be counting on those guys to play some significant minutes. Yeah, I mean, look, they had limited, with the limited funds, no matter what, they were probably going to have some sort of issues. Yeah, you can't really um, be, you know, picking, saying, hey, I want the perfect free agent options, both on the idea of a Detroit tax, which luckily that didn't seem to be an actual factor this year. Thankfully, no, you know, lure for four years uh, <laughs> contracts out there. But you're right. I, I think that Detroit's never going to be, you know, hey, Andre Iguodala is getting waived. He's going to go sign with a contender. That's not going to ever really be Detroit. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and, you know, go, well, this wasn't perfect, but it's never going to be perfect. So I think that with the funds they had, they did pretty well. Um, I just really, I do, I am hesitant about whether or not they're going to regret not trying more to focus on getting another wing player because Tony Snell is a good player. He'll help them, but he's pretty much now set up that he's going to have to start and play like 34 minutes a night. And Tony Snell is a competent player, but he's not good enough that you want to be playing him 30 minutes a night. So yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little worried about the wing rotation still. However, uh, I will have to say him playing 30 minutes a night. I feel better about that than uh, Glenn Robinson playing 30 minutes a night or yes, Stanley absolutely. Johnson playing 30 minutes a night. Karan Butler, um, or uh, old Tayshawn Prince. I, I do have some uh, actual deep set feelings for Kyle Signaler just because of how oddly efficient he was under Van Gundy. But uh, we, we can dive deep into Kyle Signaler, the Will Brown stopper on a, a nostalgia podcast some other time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, like you said, look, it's an improvement for Tony Snell. Just <laughs> that's you don't want to overextend him. Right, he fact, he averages like around what twenty two to twenty six minutes max for yeah. his career. He's definitely been a, a rotation player, but nothing more than that. The fact that Tony Snell is a marked improvement is more a, is more of a statement on just how terrible the Pistons' wing rotation was last season than anything else, and uh, and last so, multiple seasons outside of Harris or Morris. Yeah, so it's just it's just one of those things that. I would have maybe preferred to try and attack the wing more, but they certainly got pretty good talent for their value. I think um, the upside is good with the guys that they got. So yeah, I'm certainly not disappointed with it. Yeah. I I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it works. And all in all, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think it's definitely a step up from last year. And I do think if things break the right way in terms of, you know, Markeith getting minutes over Thon Maker at those positions and his talent working through and also with Rose being a real scorer off the bench who can be dynamic and really, you know, at times Rose was better than Jeff Teague and was the best option and was absolutely looked legendary at moments. If he has some of those flashes again, that gives Detroit, what, another three wins at least, which is at least enough to put them up to a sixth seed and hopefully doesn't let them fall stagnant as the at the end of the season and there does seem to be a little bit redundancy at least with the guard position where as long as there's two out of the three guards active at one time i think detroit's going to be okay 
So moving on to our younger players who will play a, more of a role this season, I think, in terms of a depth. And it'll be interesting to see, too, now where Bruce Brown's role is if Casey still starts a guy whose shot doesn't look like it's quite improved yet over summer league, but they've talked about it. But Brown has actually shown a lot of promise as a passer this summer. Have you had a chance to watch any of the uh, games versus Croatia or uh, out west? Yes, I have. I watched both of those games. Uh, Bruce can't shoot. <laughs> that's that's abundantly clear. He still cannot shoot. And that shouldn't be a huge shock. That guy, like, I've told this story a couple of times before, but so I cover the, the drive games here in Grand Rapids. And so you get there early and you watch guys go through warm-ups. And usually when you watch professional basketball players go through warm-ups, it's remarkable to see just how stupidly good all of them are. Like you see guys who it's like, that guy's not even a good shooter. And yet he's out here hitting all these threes. Like just as an example, um, if you remember him, um, uh, KJ McDaniels, who was always, his problem is he couldn't shoot in the NBA. You'd watch him go through warmups and he'd still hit like 50, 60% of his threes. It's like, man, these guys are just so good. Bruce Brown didn't do that. Bruce Brown couldn't hit from any, where even in warmups, other than the the left corner, he could shoot a little bit from. And and uh, I know some people like disregard like you know warmups and all that stuff. It's 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 the game that matters. But what I, I read like a rule of film one year. It's like one one coach was talking about that you know it's about you make about half the shots that you hit in warmups. And so I kind of have used that as a rule of thumb of okay if this guy's you know automatic, he's gonna be where you want fifty percent of things like that. And so, yes, it, it, KJ McDaniels, I mean, if he's hitting 50% from three in a game log, you know, 25% NBA range, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So if you're not even able to hit threes with any consistency just in warmups, you're not. You've got a lot of work to do still. So I'm, I'm still pretty high on Bruce as a player. I think he's got good potential. Like you said, he's shown really good passing ability. Um, he's made he's shown enough abilities with the ball in his hands in the summer league that I am officially in on the potential for him to maybe play point guard at some point. Uh, he really does have that potential. He's got a killer first step. He's got good decision makings. He's an explosive enough athlete that with a little more refining, he could become a really effective finisher at the hoop. Uh, so I'm still pretty high on him in the future, but he can't shoot. And I wouldn't expect him to learn to shoot anytime soon. Um, we had James Edwards of The Athletic on the podcast, our podcast, like uh, a few days ago. And he said that he's pretty confident that Bruce is locked into the rotation at this point. Um, As a starter or just significant minutes? James is leaning towards him, was leaning towards him starting still. Um, they might try Luke Kennard as a starter this season, um, but they're pretty comfortable with Bruce in the starting lineup and then Luke as sort of a sixth man. But as far as he he was making it sound like, and also we had Rod Beard on the other week too, and he, he pretty much echoed this, that um, there's Bruce Brown, Dwayne Casey, if, you, if Dwayne Casey trusts your defense, he's going to play you. And Dwayne Casey fully trusts his defense to the point that he's going to play him. Like Stanley um, Johnson's defense? Yeah, although Bruce keeps in better shape and well, yeah. whatnot. Well, so, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so just based on what those guys have told me um, and what I've heard from a couple of other people, I would say 
Bruce, it, Bruce is in the rotation and it is his spot to lose. Um, Do you agree with so, that? Uh, I hope that it's not too set in stone, I guess. Um, I hope that they haven't already decided because this is a thing with Dwayne Casey where I think that there is a degree in this thing that Stan Van Gundy had too that was an issue for what it's worth is he can have a tendency to overvalue defense of guys and sort of put on blinders for guys who play defense. And I hope that he hasn't already totally gotten it in his head. Bruce Brown is a better defender than these other guys, so he's got to play. So, like, if Kyrie Thomas is 80% of the defender that Bruce Brown is and he shoots as well as it looks like he's going to because he shot really well in the G League last year, he shot really well in the Summer League so far, so... You know, and he so if he's eighty percent of the defender Bruce is, and he's a way better offensive player because he can you know shoot. Why would you not play him over him? And I mean, I'm the math that. works that way that, that your net rating overall, even if it you know slips one point in defense, but you gain two points in offense, that's a win. Yeah, and I'm a little bit worried that Dwayne Casey is going to say, "Well, I'm going to play Bruce anyways because he's a better defender." Um, so. I don't know for sure. We'll see exactly how things shake out. Um, you know, there's a very good chance that Kyrie is just not as good as him. You know, summer league is easy to look good. So we'll see how things go. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I think that he's fine being in the rotation. He's, he is a good defender and the Pistons don't have a lot of high level perimeter defenders. In fact, they've got pretty much none other than him. <laughs> so uh, maybe Kyrie can be that, but we'll see about that. So I don't mind him being in the rotation. I just, I do hope that he's not, that Dwayne Casey hasn't totally made up his mind that Bruce is going to be in the rotation basically no matter what. I hope that he makes Bruce earn it because Bruce started last season not because he played so phenomenally well, but because others played so poorly. Because the guy that you signed to take that role, which was Glenn Robinson, he was terrible. He played because Reggie Bullock had some injury issues and then got traded. Stanley Johnson was terrible and then got traded. Um, you know, Luke Kennard just couldn't really fit with the starters for whatever reason. So I hope that he basically what I'm saying. Yeah, that's really what I want to say is that Bruce didn't so much earn that starting spot last season. It was everyone else blew it and Bruce went in and it wasn't a disaster as a lineup. So they rolled with it which is fine. And it's a credit to Bruce because that's not an easy thing for a rookie to do. But I hope that he make that Dwayne Casey make sure that Bruce earns his rotation spot this season, because there isn't anything he did last season that should make it a, you know, totally earned, um, you know, like, Oh, he for sure should be starting. So like Reggie Jackson, there's no reason that you should assume anyone other than Reggie Jackson will start. He absolutely earned that right from last season. He played all 82 games. He played his role. He shot well from three. Um, he mostly competed on defense, et cetera, et cetera, right? But I really – I just don't feel like that same way about Bruce, if that makes sense. So if he's in the rotation, that's fine. He's a good defender. He fills a role. He does some good things. But I just – I hope that they're not too set on him being in the rotation for sure. I agree. I, I like him as a player, and especially I think him being paired with Reggie Jackson's defense, people can gripe on it, but I think we're all going to appreciate it a little bit more compared to Derrick Rose's. I think Derrick Rose will be you know, out there doing a lot of great things in offense. I We're not counting on him for his defense, and I think you pairing Bruce Brown with him on the second unit 
would help overlap that. It'd help give some additional ball handling on the second unit. And then in the starting lineup, I'd just kind of like to surround Drummond with as much shooters as possible just to let him work as well. So that's kind of where I'm pushing for Kennard to go in there. And just because I, I want to see Kennard get shots, but also maybe he's a player where there's just not enough for him, uh, not enough shots to go around on the starting unit for him to really get in a rhythm. So that'll be interesting to see too. Now, the other player who has been making a little bit of waves for the Pistons has, has been Svi, the shooting guard, the Pistons, the shooting guard, small forward, point guard, however you want to look at him, uh, the multi-talented European player that the Pistons got in the Reggie Bullock trade last year. He's looked pretty solid, and I don't think I mind the idea of him being like the backup three if if Seku's not really going to work at, at small forward just this year, just too raw or, or whatever else is happening. If you're if, after your third guard lineup and Bruce Brown's out there, I don't think I'd mind a few you know spot minutes first for you. Um, Svi can shoot. I'm not <laughs> sure that Svi can play defense on a high enough level to really stay on the floor, particularly for a Dwayne Casey team. Um, I just, he really struggles defensively. Uh, he can really, really, really shoot. Like, he can really shoot big time. But, yeah, I really, I don't know. I don't think I would be surprised if Svi ends up playing at all for this Pistons team with Dwayne Casey's coach. Oh, interesting. And now his talent, you said he can really shoot. And there was some there was some talk too of him kind of running point guard a little bit in summer league, his playmaking, things like that. Have you seen some other aspects of him showing that maybe if he's not a, a Dwayne Casey player, he's at least a, a fringe NBA player or an, an interesting prospect? I mean, he's a good enough shooter that he's definitely an interesting prospect um, because I that dude can really, really shoot. Like, he is an otherworldly shooter, and he's tall enough that he can hypothetically play a couple different positions. Um, he could get to the point that he's a decent ball handler. I wouldn't count on him being much of a ball handler at the NBA level right now. His handle's still pretty loose. Um, so I think he'd struggle to hold on to the ball against guys who are even remotely good defenders. But the main thing is just, I think he really, I he struggled on defense in the G League. He struggled on defense in Summer League. And if you're struggling to defend guys at that level, you're going to really struggle to defend just about anybody in the NBA. And once again, as we say before, Dwayne Casey doesn't want to play people who he doesn't trust on defense. And so I think particularly with Dwayne Casey as coach, it's going to be a struggle for him to see the floor. And I would be, I would be surprised if he played because that would mean that he somehow earned Dwayne Casey's trust on defense. And I just can't see it other than of course, obviously if some injuries happen and such, they might be forced to play him because as we've talked about, they're so comically thin in terms of, you know, bigger wings, which is what he is. So I just, I would be surprised if he ended up earning any real minutes this season. Now I've got one other random hypothetical just based off summer league. The Pistons, they've got a center that they're playing in Summer League who's near and dear to my heart. I don't know if you can guess it. Uh, his name's Matt Costello. He technically only has one year of service in the NBA uh, from his time with the Spurs in 17-18. So I think then he would count as only a two-year veteran. 
which would have him slide exactly into the most narrow amount of space that the Pistons could have. Do you think that he would be this year's Eric Moreland or Joel Anthony in terms of your third string breaking case of emergency center? Or do you think the Pistons are just better off just not even touching that? Um, I don't know. I think that the third center thing, it kind of depends on what their plan is. If they, if they are planning to sign whoever that is, as a third center, which would mean that they basically plan on going with Markeith Morris and Thon Maker as their backup front court. Um, then it's not going to matter a whole lot because Andre is so durable that he isn't, whoever their third center isn't, isn't going to have to play very much. Um, if they are hoping to have whoever they sign with that money play, then I'd be more worried about it. I'd be like, let's try and get someone maybe better than Matt Costello. <laughs> uh, but that's there are pretty limited options there, though. So it's hard to say. Um, I mean, looking I at it right now, I think there's enough overlap if you're looking at, if you need to just do a platoon style where let's say everybody's, healthy or, or one person's out, I think between Drummond, Griffin, uh, Thon, and Marquis, if you've got four guys there who can all play, I think that gives you enough between the four and the five where, you know, you've got four guys, you can have a three-man rotation if you really need to. I think that's probably okay, especially if you, in theory, go very small and put Snell or Seku at the four, which I think actually Seku might be a more natural four, just looking at his profile in the NBA and man, the the highlight footage of him, it looks it looks like a very rough Giannis, but you can kind of squint hard and you can see the highlights of him running the court and, and scoring inside there. I think they'll probably be okay. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, and I and here's the reality: at that point, with the price range they're in, you're kind of going bargain bin diving you're looking Beyond at a lot of guys bargain bin diving because you can't even pick up a javel mcgee or yeah. a zaza or anything like that yeah you're you're looking at guys who have played no or very few nba minutes so it's very difficult for us to for me to sit here and be like well this guy might work that guy might work because i've got there's very little information to go on right yeah i mean so, how much game tape have we watched on undrafted third string option centers that have one year or less experience in the NBA. I mean, yeah, so that, like, that's a small has, market. Has Matt Costello ever been on an actual NBA floor? Yes. Yes, he has. Okay. He has played a grand total. <laughs> of, let's see, what do we have here? He's probably played, he's played in four games. Yeah. So he's played 32 minutes in his NBA career. So it's like, and I'm sure that's not on video anywhere that I could find it. So it just, you know, Maybe he'd be able to do it if he played more. I don't know. <laughs> it's very difficult to make a judgment on that sort of a thing. So I think I'm going to just say they'll probably sign somebody. Um, James Edwards said that it sounded like they were going to sign a proper center of some sort yet before the season started, but they're not in a rush to do it. So I'll, we'll just see who they sign. I'm not going to start listing off. I'm not going to take the time to research every possible, you know, um, undrafted rookie who they could possibly look at. No, I mean, um, that, that, that's somebody I'll look that's at. That's beyond anything that it, I mean, it, it, there's such a thing to look at, you know, 
prospects and drafts and things like that. Lewis King, he's listed as a small forward. Uh, he's 6'9". I mean, I, I don't think they'd really put him there, but I'd imagine the Pistons got desperate enough that they would probably cut bait with Lewis King and sign a different two-way player if they really needed a, a center to spot games for them. Well, I think Todd Withers is going to take Lewis King's two-way spot Okay. by the time Summer League is over. I think that's going to happen. Um, the Pistons think really highly of Todd Withers. Uh, and, like, people in Grand Rapids, they freaking love that guy. Um, the Grand Rapids Drive head coach, uh, Ryan Kruger, he thought incredibly highly of him. So I know that he is really stumping to keep Todd Withers in the organization and the fact that combined with that, I'm Withers and Withers is actually even more of a big than Lewis King is. Uh, he's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So it even actually would fit even a little bit better with this. Um, Withers actually played a decent amount of small ball five in the G League last year. I don't know that that would be a reasonable thing to expect him to do in the NBA. But, um, you know, he'd hypothetically fit that better than King. And King has really not looked impressive in any way in summer league while Todd Withers has. So I would actually really not be surprised at all if Todd Withers ended up getting that two way contract before I'm before training camp even starts even. Well we've we've gone really deep here in Pistons talk in terms of we're talking Lewis Kane and two way prospects. There's one prospect that could make his debut uh what tonight, I believe. Jordan Bone saw the Pistons late round draft pick trade I believe was officially consummated last night. After you know the delay created by Kawhi Leonard, that just the sheer amount of volume of trades it, it is unbelievable. I mean, what, was it something about sixty percent of picks were traded uh, during the NBA draft, and then you had all the subsequent trades since then? There's not been an NBA offseason that I can quite remember like this, and part of that's been now Detroit getting Jordan Bone after moving multiple picks around and shuffling and moving very late. Uh, picks from the future to get $5 million back from Cleveland. And, and interesting moves because I do think part of moving the 30th pick away uh, or Milwaukee's pick back to Cleveland was to save on that cap space to make the moves that they could this summer and then get money back. All that comes down. We got Jordan Bone, point guard prospect. Have you had a chance to watch any of his tape? Uh, Jordan Bone, yeah, I have looked at some of his stuff. Um, one thing he's a I know a lot of people have brought this up. It's the first thing anyone says about him, but he is a freakish athlete, um, incredibly fast, incredibly bouncy, incredibly quick. Uh, his combine ratings where he graded out um, like on par nearly with Zion Williamson in a lot of things. So obviously he's not as big and strong as Zion. Oh or that's, that's the sort of athlete that he is. I mean, I knew he was top so, tier in terms of where it graded out, but I, I had not heard the Zion Williams in compar uh, comparison that that's a new one yeah. like his vertical and his shuttle run that sort of thing he was he was on par with zion in quite a few things and in fact there were some people that came away saying he's the best athlete in the draft um there's one thing he jumps too much that's one thing that will be an issue for him if he plays in the nba at all right away uh he really jumps too much like he he can't hardly seem to make a pass without jumping in the air first, which when you can jump as high as he can, you can kind of get away with, but that's going to result in a lot of bad turnovers in the NBA. So that's, that's one thing that stood out to me quickly um, just from watching him, but he'll be interesting to see because he was not actually very good his first two years in college. 
Um, and then this past season, he sort of, he learned to, he shot pretty well from the mid range and he started passing better and finishing better. And he got a lot better this past season. So um, he's a guy who takes a lot of mid range shots for someone who's sort of billed as a really high level, you know, athlete and explosive finisher, but he was a really efficient score this past season. Um, he's a pretty good three point shooter, even though his shot looks a little bit janky. Um, he shot 38% of sophomore year, 35% last season. He doesn't take a ton of threes, though. Um, he does not draw very many fouls. He's a smart passer, though. So, I don't know. You're kind of betting on the athleticism to sort of hope help him to build along, and he can maybe become something down the road. I wouldn't put a ton of faith in it, which is okay, because he was, what, the 56th pick or so? And uh, he's signed to a two-way contract. He's not even signed to a second-round contract. He's... Yeah. put into the G League. Yeah, they can convert that to a second round contract whenever they want. Just for But it, it also works. saves them some cap space too. Yep. Which is why they're doing the two-way contract for now. Um so look, he was a 56th pick. I think he was 56. I don't remember. Late second round pick. He's not even on a rookie contract yet. So, you know, there's not exactly high expectations there. Uh but he can play, I think. Um, he's got a lot of things he's got to iron out though. The main thing that's interesting about him is that he is really a freakishly good athlete and he can shoot pretty well. Um, the question is whether or not that's going to be able to translate effectively to the NBA level and whether or not a lot of his other things. So can he avoid turnovers at the NBA level? Cause once again, he jumps all the time, every time he passes, he jumps and that often leads to turnovers in the NBA. He didn't get to the line very much or actually get to the hoop that much in college, despite being such a freak athlete. If you're struggling to get to the line in college, you're probably not ever going to get there as an NBA player. Well, he, he's a six-three guard, but he only has a six-three wingspan, which that really does seem to predicate, unless you're a guy like Griffin who's relying on your hops and uh, to, to dunk it, you really do need that wingspan advantage to attack the hoop. Yeah, exactly. So... It just, when you're a guard and you're not an elite shooter and you don't get to the line, it is hard to be an efficient scorer at the NBA level. So we'll see if he's able to yeah, be. Even DeRozan on his peak years, it's it, it's not the greatest thing ever. He did have a stretch, though, where you know he was an insane true shooting percentage, but that did cool off. And I, I think asking Jordan Bones to turn into DeMar DeRozan might be a bit of a reach. Yeah, exactly. So... It'll be, he's certainly a guy that's worth looking at because he is that freak athlete. And when you have that sort of athleticism combined with the fact that he did shoot really quite well last season in particular, um, he shot pretty well from three. He was good in the mid range. Um, so if he can put a few other things together, uh, that can be a really good combination that could make him a really effective player. Um, just, I would not put particularly high hopes on him. I was just one other analysis that I'm just reading here is from the uh, Stefan.com. Uh, quote, just in terms of combine agility and explosive testing, Jordan Bone is arguably the best athlete to ever perform. Uh, so, yeah, and that's that's including guys like Westbrook, Rose, Donovan Mitchell and Chris Paul. So that's that's pretty, pretty darn good. And, and if we're talking yeah. they were the only other person that they brought up who had some similar in terms of was it a agility um was Nate Robinson who is significantly smaller and was able to play rotation minutes uh in the NBA so I mean you get that out of a second round pick I mean that's that's not bad 
Now, but I do think that there was some talk. Everyone's like, we're fine. We've got Jordan Bone. He's going to get minutes. I mean, there was some ridiculous hype. Um, just people, I think, were way too excited of the idea of the Pistons drafting a point guard that was a pure point guard and not like a uh, conversion project from Brown to point guard. I, I think we can put you know water on that where if, if Bone is playing minutes for the Pistons at point guard at any point, even if it's a few here or there, something has gone drastically wrong in the season. Uh, yeah, especially because of the fact that they signed Tim Frazier. They've got three guys who really should hold that down. And then even after team. that, there's Bruce Brown, in yeah. theory, that you, they would go to next. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, honestly, Bruce Brown might be a decent... When you consider Bruce Brown as a point guard prospect, that might be the level that you have to think about the sort of work that Bone will have in front of him. Bone is a better shooter than Brown is and such, but... I think that you'd have to expect a similar level of development before he'd be ready for NBA minutes. Well, from the summer league, eventually we get to the regular season. The Pistons roster kind of seems set on set of a fringe move. Where are you looking for the season to go for the Pistons? Where are you kind of projecting their win total, their seed? And then do you think there's going to be one or two moves eventually on the horizon for this team that before it's completely solidified before the playoffs? Um, hmm. So, yeah, I know there's a couple questions right there, but just kind of where are you, what's your outlook for the Pistons season and, and what will happen with it? I mean, I'm fairly optimistic about the season. Um, They should be better than they were last year. Their wing rotation will be improved. Their point guard depth will be improved. Hopefully Luke Kennard takes another step forward. Uh, But the thing that's tricky is, you know, they've got, two fairly key guys in Blake Griffin and now Derrick Rose that have very bad injury histories. And, you know, I mean, if Blake Griffin has a bad injury and misses, you know, 25 games, that changes things significantly for the outlook on the roster. Um, if Derrick Rose misses 50 games, um, you know, we both like Tim Frazier, but I'd rather him not have to play 50 games. So it's uh I'm optimistic if they can keep guys relatively healthy. Um, I would say they could probably shoot for. I think I think that it would not be crazy to say that they can shoot for the four seed. Um, that would be on the optimistic side, but Milwaukee is definitely going to be ahead of them. Philly is going to be ahead of them, and I think Indiana, as long as Victor Oladipo comes back healthy, is definitely going to be ahead of them. Um, but after that, it's kind of going to be a crapshoot. Um, Miami should be at least a little bit better than last season, although I actually think trading Josh Richardson for Jimmy Butler is not as great as a lot of people seem to think. Um, Charlotte will be out of it pretty much this season. Um, Washington shouldn't be any better than they were last year. Um, Brooklyn will be a little bit better, but remember Kevin Durant's not going to play at all this coming season. Um, Boston is probably going to be about the same as last year, I would think. Um, I actually think Kemba Walker is an improvement over Kyrie Irving by a pretty decent margin. Kyrie Irving does not actually make you that much better as a basketball team. Uh, but they lost Al Horford, who makes you much better as a basketball team. So they'll probably end up being about the same as long as Jason Tatum takes a step forward and Jalen Brown takes a step forward. Uh, so yeah, I think four seed is a possibility. That'd be the upside and they definitely should be in the thick of the East playoff race behind the sort of top three guys. And 
yeah, as far as any sort of a move in the season, um, uh, with this this front office, they are not big fans of having Reggie Jackson as their starting point guard. So there's always the possibility they trade for a point guard. Um, that's the whole reason why they're an option for Russell Westbrook is they just they really wish they had someone else as their starting point guard. So that's always a possibility. Um, because of the Can fact you that imagine Andrew Jackson Jr. going back to, to to Oklahoma City, I mean that would be that, that would be pretty yeah. funny considering just the exit there. Um, and I know Jackson's matured as a person since then, but it, it it's just a humorous humorous thought. Yeah, yeah, that is that is kind of funny. And then you'd have about. Schroeder and Jackson on the same team, which I, I, it's just the Spider Man meme of them pointing at each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and then. Since Andre is probably going to opt out of his last uh, year of his contract, he's basically an expiring, so there's a chance that he could get traded um, at some point this season if things go poorly or if someone makes a really great offer or if the Pistons think he's going to just leave, which I don't have any sort of inside information about any of that. I have no idea. Um, Andre mostly sounds like he likes it in Detroit. He sounds like he mostly likes Tom Gores. He mostly likes his teammates, but on the other hand, the Pistons have been bad. They failed to pair him with a good point guard that really makes him thrive. Um, and also the fans actively hate him by and large. So if he leaves, I certainly wouldn't blame him. So there's a chance that the Pistons make some significant moves for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just went over and I, I just kind of threw some names on the sheet just looking at in terms of where I think the standings could go. And it, I, I've got right now like Bucks, Sixers, and then I've got Celtics there just because I think the, the the Kemba and the young talent there, uh, but the, their front court's going to be a mess. Um, and then, yeah, Pistons could slide in there because Pacers, Victor Oladipo's kind of up in the air. The Nets, you, I mean, you've got, you basically just swap out D'Angelo Russell, uh, lose a couple contracts, and then put in um, Irving, which will be interesting. And then Raptors, you know, they just lost Kawhi and DeRozan and Danny Green. I, I, if OG Ananubi comes back healthy and, you know, you, you get some good play out of uh, Fred Van Vliet as your backup and as your second guard and, you know, uh, Pascal Siakam takes another step forward and, and you sort of work more with Serge Ibaka and Gasol. But those guys could be also be trade bait. So who knows if the Raptors are anywhere from like a, you know, a late a late round, um, you know, late seed in the Eastern Conference to uh, trying to tank maybe for a year or trade away some players in reload magic treaded water. Uh, I really have no idea why they signed Al Farouk Amino. Uh, they, they already have a bunch of long guys who are really fours um, or five and uh, Al Farouk Amino sort of shoots, but not really. It, it, he's been inconsistent. So I don't know that that makes no sense to me. And then yeah, the heat, Jimmy Butler, it's Jimmy Butler and justice Winslow and waiters Island. I mean, it's, it, that that to me just doesn't seem great. Besides, that Butler really didn't want to deal with uh, Philly, and you know Miami's nice all year round. So good for him getting paid. So I think the Pistons yeah. they do really have the chance because there's just so much uncertainty with Pacers, Nets, Raptors, Magic, and Heat that that they 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 can take advantage of that if things break the right way. Yeah, um, I think that the. The worry, though, does remain that if the Pistons have some injury issues, they could fall pretty hard, which would be a disaster in for all sorts of reasons. Um, and it will be interesting to see how the front office would react to 
You know, so like if Blake misses a bunch of games and the Pistons fall well out of the playoff race, um, it would be interesting to see how the front office would react to that. Um, would they just have a fire sale and then try and fix things up the coming summer and with a bunch of cap space? Or would they try and make moves to try and shore up? Would that maybe push them towards maybe making a Westbrook trade uh, to try and save the season? It'll be interesting to see how they would react to it. Because I was expecting last year for something to really come through to like, okay, we're, 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 you know, we're keeping some things dry. We're going to, we're going to make moves or something. And maybe I wasn't expecting anything crazy, but their, their big move, which was a decent signing was another shooting guard on a roster that already had Bruce Brown, Galloway and Kennard uh, with Wayne Ellington and Ellington uh, did eventually, I think pay dividends, but you know, it wasn't a long-term haul. It was just kind of more of a stopgap when you ship away Bullock, but I mean, the 2020 class, I mean, that's when the Pistons, you know, if you move, you've got Jackson is expiring and, and say, I think you could easily find another team. Hey, Snell, he's an expiring wing. That should be easy to move quite easily. I mean, just into cap space, basically what happened this year with him into a team that's like, yes, we need a wing. But uh, this year's free agents, I mean, Lowry, or, or this year, ha, ha, uh, 2020 free agents. So now that the money's gone, looking at next year, Lowry, Hayward, uh, DeRozan are your big names there. Otto Porter, Porter Jr., Drummond, uh, th- those are really your big guys. And then you have to kind of stretch down to see who else you might want to pick up. And I-, I don't know where you'd go from there. So I don't know. You know, betting on cap space has never been the Pistons' friend. So I think that they could move guys. I think it really does come down to if the Pistons can't get an extension worked out with Drummond, if you know he's going to opt out and he's going to demand, you know, a max salary or a super high contract. I just don't think that's realistic for the Pistons to do just because I don't think money for a center makes sense if it's not a guy who is immediate all NBA talent where you look at him and say, there's something that's so unique about him where it's going to change how every team has to play you where with a guy like Al Horford, maybe not necessarily uh, that, but he has all the other intangibles between his defense and his shooting, and he brings that all to the table. Horford is a guy you can use to pair with one other person. I think you can use that with a guy like Anthony Davis or Carl Anthony Towns, where it's just such a unique skill set at his size. Porzingis, if they're if they're healthy, that it's the offense outweighs everything, and that they are impossible to guard. I think Drummond, he's got a lot of value with his rebounding, and he does have some defensive value as well. But I don't think it's such high value over replacement in terms of if I could go out and get a guy like Dwayne Dedman or if I could go get a guy like Derek Favors and pay them 20-some million a year, 15 million a year, or pay Drummond 35 million a year, that's $15 million in cap space that I could go towards getting a wing uh, or you know getting a $30 million point guarder. I think a center, it has to be your final piece if you are a good team just needing to add one one person like how the Raptors did it with Marc Gasol adding him in there as the final piece and everything else was still good or if you're looking at the Rockets where Capella was cheap and then they 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 could sign him to the contract after they had their two guys in Paul and Harden I don't think it makes sense to tie up cap space for a center and that, which would block you from making the other moves you, you need to round out your roster uh I don't know about that. Um, now, I don't think Andre Drummond is going to get a max contract. I don't think he's going to get paid $35 million a year. Um, 
I think that he will. I'd be surprised if he made much more money than he is on his current contract. I'd be surprised. If, I wouldn't be shocked if he made a little less. He'll probably end up in the 23, 24, 25 range, I would guess. And, and that's the value that was set with uh, Vucevic, who signed about yep. a 25 million four year contract or just under. It's pretty close to what uh, Al Horford got. I think if that's the market for him, $25 million, that seems right. But I'm saying if you if you stretch into 30, 35, if some team goes really crazy and saying, look at this guy, all NBA, look at his rebounding, he's young, we need him to be the second guy on a team, he needs to be a star. We've kind of seen in Detroit, him and, and Griffin, maybe there's the overlap there, but I don't think we've seen that Drummond can really drag a team or carry a team. I think he can be a very good supporting or complimentary player. I think that, and look, I'm as big a fan of Andre Drummond as they come. Uh, I, I think one thing that you said is that you, if a center, unless he's someone who is so good at something that it makes opposing teams change the way they play, Andre Drummond's rebounding does that. Absolutely. There is 100%. You just, just watch the way that opposing centers are so terrified of his rebounding He'll be standing way far away from the hoop, and they'll still be ready to box him out because they're like, we're not letting him. Um, the guy you brought up, Dwayne Dedman, it was particularly funny against the Hawks against him. Um, there were several plays that Andre was standing like on the low block, kind of on the baseline, so quite a few feet away from the hoop. He's not at the hoop, and Blake is just driving down the lane or backing guys down, and Dedman would not leave Andre Drummond. He's like, I'm staying right here because Andre is not getting, uh, getting a uh, – an offensive rebound. Also, Andre Drummond is not just some value on defense. Andre Drummond brings stupendous value to your defense. Um, just aside from the fact that he blocks shots, he gets steals, etc., his rebounding, once again, makes you a competent defensive team on its own because no one ever runs in transition against them. Um, the fact that he makes sure that there's no second-chance points um, he immediately on his own, he makes you an elite transition defense because his offensive rebounding is so dangerous that no one ever runs against them because they need to take three guys to get rebounds every time just to secure defensive rebounds. The Pistons have simultaneously been one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league and one of the best transition defenses in the league for like the past four years. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Simply put, the Pistons on average, I think the past several seasons, they've usually taken like five or six more field goal attempts per game than their opponents do. Like, that's Andre Drummond. That's no one else. Andre Drummond being on your team does that for you. He is that kind of impact. And he is, an, he is a phenomenal defender. He is not quite like defensive player of the year caliber yet. I'd like to see him take another step before he's there. But I think people really undersell his defensive abilities. There are... There may not be anybody other than maybe Anthony Davis when he's locked in who has the sort of inside-outside impact on a defense that Andre Drummond does, and that is special. The fact that people think Andre Drummond is not anything other than phenomenal and phenomenally impactful is because people are casuals who they just watch the ball. It's the same reason why people think Blake Griffin plays so hard, but Andre Drummond is a bum who never plays hard, because people just watch the ball. Casuals, they get locked in on the ball, and they never watch off the ball. So they never see the fact that Blake Griffin never freaking moves on offense when he doesn't have the ball. When Blake Griffin doesn't have the ball on offense, he's doing one of two things. 
He's either standing there calling for the ball back or he's starting to leak back on defense. He often doesn't even take the time to stand on the three-point line so he's ready to take a spot-up shot, right? Which is okay. He's a star. That's what stars do. Andre is constantly running around, constantly setting screens off the ball, constantly moving. He crashes the offensive glass every single possession. He's consistently in the top 10 in the NBA for got for how much um, distance is covered by a guy of his size. He's consistently got one of the best speeds of guys his size for that distance. He is an absolute workhorse, and he terrifies his opposing teams. You talk to any coach in the league. You talk to anybody in the know about these things. They will tell you Andre Drummond scares us. Andre Drummond makes us shift our entire defensive plan because he does things that no one else can do because he's an elite rebounder who you cannot attack on defense at all. So, yeah, there's my <laughs> Andre Drummond. The, the well, Joe Truck million. Torches Blake yeah. Griffin podcast is, is what this has started. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I think it's it's a combination of where Blake Griffin, he, it's still the shiny luster. He's the all-NBA all talent that Detroit has not had. I mean, he's Griffin has been a first-team all-NBA player, and that is not something that Detroit's really ever had. And there there's the, ten, the multi faceted talent where you can see multiple things come out of Griffin where he impacts the game from his passing to his his now developed shooting to his scoring and his what remains of his athleticism where you can see him impact the game in multiple ways where Drummond it's his rebounding is the be all end all with Drummond to, to an extent where his his rebounding is the giant uh, a supernova that draws everything else around that orbits the person that is Drummond, where you look at his rebounding, and I think it's it, it's a twofold effect. Where one that it's incredible, but that fans have come, become kind of almost numb to it. Looking at his uh, history, it's he's averaging you know per 100 possessions, uh, 20 to now 23 uh, total rebounds per game uh, per per 100 possessions, which is insane. And I think that fans have just become kind of numb to seeing that level of impact rebounding that you can look at Griffin and say, look at all these multiple things that, that you do. And then I'm like, Oh, there's Drummond there. And, and, and I think that's kind of lost there. And I think because there's been so much time spent with Drummond too, that the times when, you know, uh, I remember Nikola Pekovic uh, absolutely tearing apart a couple years ago inside. If we're going way back into the annals of Andre Drummond, who has grown since then. But I think there's these moments just because they've kind of, spent so many years seven years now with him that i think they they just have this idea that's developed of he's a rebounder this is the perception here's griffin he's god and, and i think that's kind of just you know it's the fallacy of you know you're looking at the the new hot chick kind of um well you're looking at the shiny new car where you might actually already have a legendary muscle car but you're looking at the 2020 model or something like that and i think yeah. that's kind of where fans are with that but i I think that we, we talk about all these incredible things that Drummond has done and can do, but I, I think it's it's not it's still not the same level of Detroit looking for a superstar in terms of a guy where it, it's Anthony Davis or it's LeBron James or someone where they can sort of take their team kicking and screaming to the playoffs if need be. And that's not just who Drummond in is. He's a phenomenal center who provides defense and rebounding and put back and sometimes the worst hook shots I've ever seen. Well, I mean, and just to be clear, 
when I say these things, I'm not trying to trash Blake Griffin at no, all. It was, Blake a, it was a joke. Phenomenal. It, it, I like it was Blake a joke. Griffin a lot, and I like him as a player. Um, and here's the thing: is that a lot of the plays he takes off and stuff, I'm not even now. His closeouts on shooters is unacceptable, and the fact that he can't even be bothered sometimes to stand on the three point line, like to be ready to stake take a spot up shot, right? That's like okay, man, you should be able to at least do this every time down, but. Regardless, I'm not even that worried about the fact that he takes plays off. He's a superstar. That's what superstars do. It'd be great if all of our superstars were Tim Duncan and Steph Curry, where they're just constantly in motion, constantly doing all the little things. They're not. There's a reason that people talk about Tim Duncan like the way they do, right? So I'm not asking him to be Tim Duncan. Also, just one other random thing. Uh, Griffin last year played the most minutes he had played since the 15, uh, the... A uh, 14-15 season. He played 35 minutes per game for Detroit in 75 games. That's an insane workload for a guy considering his injury history. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not saying that I've got some huge issue with Blake Griffin's effort or anything like that. The closeout on three, he, he's a ter- <laughs> he was so bad at closing out on the three-point shooters. It's like, okay, Blake, let's like maybe put a little effort in there. But he's an offensive superstar. Those guys, they take plays off on defense, okay? I can live with that. That's all right. Especially if you um, can get him for 75 games, which is the most he's played in the last yeah. six years. I mean, I, I somehow Detroit had a guy. I, the, the magical blessing of Arnie Kander worked over Griffin, and you will trade him his availability for, let's say, maybe not the hustle plays where it's going to grind him down farther. Yeah, exactly. So I don't have any significant issues with Blake Griffin's effort. It's just frustrating the way that so many fans react to it. And it's doubly frustrating when it's the Detroit Pistons because all that any of these people ever say, oh, this is Detroit. We're all about toughness and effort and all this, that, and the other thing. We don't need the Hollywood superstars. Then the moment that they get the Hollywood superstar, who is that superstar that Detroit fans have constantly said, we don't need that. We don't like those types. The moment they get that guy who is the embodiment of that, he gets buckets. He's a phenomenal offensive player. He's also kind of a diva. He's kind of a prick. He's, you know, he takes plays off, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things, everyone just thinks he's God now. And that's one thing that is a little bit of a frustration to me because it's like, what is, and it's basically, it's just the double standard and the fact that clearly these people don't actually care about the things they care about. They just think Blake Griffin is cool because Blake Griffin scores. And that's okay. Blake Griffin is great. Blake Griffin is better than Andre Drummond. But it's just, I don't know. It's just a, frustration to me with the effort thing because Blake Griffin takes so many plays off and yet all you hear is Blake Griffin is doing everything he can and Andre Drummond doesn't play hard when if Blake Griffin played with the consistent effort Andre Drummond does and could get away with it and not get hurt and such Blake Griffin would have won MVP last season so yeah that that's my take on that and also Andre Drummond 35 million dollars a year would probably be stretched but if you get him at 25 he is more than worth that Yes, I think, well, especially I, I, considering I, I, some of the other contracts that have been signed. Well, I think it's a combination of it's the Pistons. I think the three-point shots become so valuable that the scoring is needed and that a wing player is needed. And it, it, if Seku's not that, and, and a point guard is needed, you need a point guard and a wing player to really be a team or a ball-dominant player who can create. I, I think those are the two things you need, a win player and a ball-dominant player who can create while shooting from three. I think that's just where the the modern NBA has gone. So, you know, you, you look at the Rockets, you look at Golden State, 
uh, even you look at the Bucks. They, they, they've got a wing player who is ball dominant, who can create with insane amounts of shooting. They, all the modern teams in the NBA basically have gone that way. Even even now the Jazz, if we're going to say someone who's gotten grit and grind, they've gotten rid of Der- Derek Favors. They've got a bunch of shooting out there. That's where everything's going. I think that if a center is prohibiting you from having those two things, it's just not going to work long term. I think I think you have to have the other pieces somehow in place. Other otherwise, it just won't work. And and maybe that could happen through trades. Uh, the Pistons could do that and keep Drummond, but it, it does come down to the contract. So hypothetical situation. Last question I've got for you today. So let's say point guard needs to be swapped out. We all know that Drummond, he's going to opt out and he is not interested in signing a long-term extension with Detroit. A hypothetical Drew Holiday, Derek Favors swap of Reggie Jackson Drummond for Holiday and Favors, a future pick, a future swap. Would you pull the gun on that? Would you pull the trigger? Um, Are the Pistons giving up the pick there? Yes, because you have Drew Holiday under contract for a couple of years. Uh, I definitely, especially if Andre doesn't want to stay, yeah, I'd do that. I'm not totally sure why the Pelicans would do that. Um, Just because I think Drew Holiday is worth more than just one pick. Um, But, yeah, i definitely do that. And once again, especially if Andre is not going to stay long-term, Drew Holiday would be a phenomenal – He's first off, Drew Holiday is just a phenomenal player. And he'd be a really, really good fit with Blake Griffin. So, like, earlier when I was talking about Russell Westbrook, the fit with Blake is the reason why I don't think they'd reach their talent ceiling. Drew Holiday could almost not be a better fit with Blake. He could maybe be a little bit of a better outside shooter, but he's a phenomenal fit with the roster. And if you do that, Derek Favors is a step down from Andre Drummond for sure. But he's still a really solid player. Um, So if you can get Drew Holiday and Derek Favors for Reggie Jackson and Andre plus a first-round pick. Yeah, that'd be the sort of move that would be the right move to make. Um, You'd come out the better team there. I think in a vacuum last year, let's say, you know, Drummond's like, hey, I'm going to play with Zion. I'm going to be down south. It's going to be warm. Like he, For some reason, he wants to go to the Pelicans long-term. They're looking for a center to pair with Zion. I, I think Drummond, in theory, could do that. And I think in a vacuum last year, a trade like that could have happened where a couple years ago, everyone's like, we're not giving up first round picks. They're gold. We're going to put all the protections on them. Like you saw swaps for Jimmy, um, for Jimmy Butler to the Timberwolves or for Paul George to uh, Oklahoma City. And, And not a lot of picks were given up in that. I think now, though, it is going to have to be how many picks are teams going to throw at a guy? And that'll, I think, be the real difference maker for Detroit is I don't think they're going to completely leverage their future. So I think two picks would be a Detroit's breaking point for any real star player, two first round picks. And then you'd probably have to haggle over the protections. Like it doesn't matter if it's Drew Holiday or anybody else. If there's like, hey, we've got Griffin here. We're going to try to get one more guy in. I I think that's their limit. Do you think that this front office is probably going to like limit the at two picks, or is that even too much for them? You think that they might give up one and that they're actually more keeping their eye on rebuilding? Uh, It's hard to say because we have some idea as to 
um, what the basic plan of this front office is, and then not what they even say, just based on what they've done. They've basically done a soft rebuild, essentially, is what's going on, where they're gathering up young assets, young players to build for the future, but we're not going to have to be, you know, terrible for the next five years while we wait for it. Um, so they're trying to make the most out of Blake Griffin while they can, while still, you know, building something for the future. Um, the thing is, I don't know what sort of a player would be good enough to convince them to put that sort of soft rebuild aside, because basically here's the way to think about it. Okay. The way that they're set up now. So Blake, including this coming season has three years left on his contract. Okay. And at the very least, the next two, he should still be in his relative prime, assuming he doesn't suffer any bad injury. Because then in the last year, he'll be turning 33, I think. And at that point, most guys are starting to decline. But he should still be very good the next two years and still should be good for all three of those, unless he has some really catastrophic injuries. So with that knowledge, if the Pistons, the Pistons are setting themselves up so that going into that last year of his contract, if they want to, um, they could basically do a total reset then. So that would be uh, Luke Kennard would just be coming off his rookie scale contract. Um, Seco would be going in, would be entering into his third season. Um, whoever they draft the next couple of years would be there. Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas hopefully are coming into their own. Um, any other young guys they might have, whatever. So the way they're set up now, they could make a run with Blake. Um, the next couple of seasons, basically. And this season they can, and next offseason, they can make some really significant changes to the roster to try and make the most of Blake's last two seasons. And then if they play it right, they could have a total reset and build around the young guys that they have after that. Because in Blake's last season, obviously he'd be an expiring. So if he's played well, you should be able to trade him. If he doesn't, you just ride it out for a season. But, um, you know, so... I'm just, I don't know for sure what caliber of player would be enough to convince them to kind of ditch that to the side. Uh, would Drew Holiday be good enough to do that? Um, you know, I don't know for sure. That'd be, for me personally, I would lean towards, I would probably say that any more than one, anything that you could do while giving up just one first round pick and not Luke or Seko, I'd certainly think about it. Um, anything beyond that, so giving up more than one first-round pick or giving up Luke or giving up Seko, uh, that would make me nervous, but I'm not sure exactly where this front office is on it. And so. I think because of Griffin's contract, they, they actually could have the... Because right now, I think they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, which it, it, it's a frustrating situation because you're like, come on, do something. There's such a short window. And I think that as much as everyone derided the Nets for the massive overpay they did for two uh, players who basically hit their decline as soon as they went to the Nets. They still made moves in the playoffs. I remember them crushing the Raptors. And then within three years of that, you know, of them being out of the playoffs, they went back into it because of management taking on contracts. And, and you know, they did the full rebuild without mm -hmm. assets. And I think that Detroit, even if you give up, let's say, one or two picks, I think, you know, you say you give up two picks, you have so much money coming off the books within three years that you could easily take back other toxic contracts that other you know, teams are trying to move to fit things in there and get picks back in. And I think that you could replenish your ammunition quickly enough because of just the nature of how the spreadsheets are lining up that it could work. And, and so that's kind of why I'm advocating of 
you can still do it both ways just by the nature of if you go the proper or if you go the dark uh, tanking rebuild, you can take on those bad contracts and get those assets right back. But yeah, I think the sure. trick is you can trade away two picks, probably your limit for how much you can get back within you know two years for taking on bad contracts and three uh, when Griffin's contract comes off the book. But then you know you really don't want to give up Canard or your young players because you you need those to develop over time. So I think that's kind of the line for this office. Okay. Yeah. So. so. That's I think we've covered everything under the sun uh, it was not 20 minutes. I appreciate you for this incredible deep dive, Joe. Uh, where can people find you uh, online and on social media? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Um, you can listen to my podcast with Kuka Hill, which is hashtag Pistons, which is part of the hashtag basketball um, podcast network. Um, I don't write there a ton because they that's kind of how they prefer to do things there. But you can occasionally find me writing there. Um, you can find me on my site, which is the Grand Rapids Sports page. I also put most of my stuff on Reddit. So, uh, yeah, you can read my game previews and recaps on Reddit, which is always fun. Um, well, not always. Sometimes Reddit is pretty toxic, but mostly pretty good. So, yeah, um, that's where you can find me. Thanks for having me on, man. And again, that was the phenomenal Joe Truck and when I say that, I mean some of his content and analysis is better than the some of the Pistons beat writers that you've seen for major publications and things like that. He has really, really great insight of the organization, the current state of the roster, the players. It's someone who I go to on a regular basis when I'm looking to see what happens after a game, when I'm trying to just see what happens if I can't catch a game, or if I just want to see what, what someone else saw with their eyes and have a dialogue. He's one of the first people I go to, and this is, you know, compared to Pistons Twitter, Reddit, but Detroit Bad Boys, or any of, you know, some of the beat writers. Joe's one of the first people I go to, so I really appreciate him taking his time to come on the second episode of the Three Point Sportscast on a Monday morning. And now, before I go, I want to say that we are starting up the giveaway season here. It is not Christmas in July, but it could feel that way. I am giving away a $20 gift card in two weeks. So on Monday, July 22nd, I will announce who is the winner of a $20 Amazon gift card. That will be the first of our giveaways, and then we will ramp them up a little bit from there. All you have to do in order to get in the contest is to like and follow the page on Twitter or Facebook. And that's all you got to do. You go from there, from the post share the post, like, follow, you're good. And anybody who meets all those three criteria, I put them immediately into a Word document. I use a random number generator, find that person who's that number in the document, and bam, you're the winner. That's how it worked for the Pistons playoff tickets. And that's how it'll work again this time too. So you want to get in that contest, please share today's post, like, and follow us on either social media platform of your choice. And if you want two entries, do it on both. I really appreciate it as we grow the show out, develop from there, and that would be fantastic. And in order to do that, you go to the three point. It's uh, spelled out, so the three point on Twitter and Facebook. We're gonna have big things coming. We're gonna start doing some stuff on uh, three point. It's a sports, it's media, and it's life. So talking sports, we're gonna talk Lions coming up. I've got some stuff in the pipeline there. College football season as well michigan and michigan state a little bit just a little bit of ferris just uh for uh my friends back there in big rapids and then also uh beer travels it'll be all in separate posts so for whatever your pleasure uh is 
you'll be able to find it. We got sports content, media content, so game reviews, movie reviews, all this stuff. It's going to be ramping up from here. And from there, we'll have another contest too. And then more times you enter, more chances you got to win. So please remember to like and follow the show. It's a big favor. And again, thank you to Joe Truck. And I will talk to you next time, which should be about Friday. Peace.